Not today what the morrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth o'er everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith, yes, living by faith, in Jesus above, in Jesus above. trusting, confiding in his great love, yes, in his great love. Obscuring the brightness of life I'm never alarmed at the overcast skies The master looks on at the strife Living by faith, yes, living by faith In Jesus above Trusting, confiding in his great love Yes, in his great love From all harm's Sheltering on, sheltering on. I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. Feel no alarm. Our Lord will return to this earth some sweet day. Our troubles will then all be o'er. The Master so gently will lead us away beyond that blessed heavenly shore. Living by faith, yes, living by faith in Jesus above. In Jesus above, trusting, confiding, confiding in His great love, yes, in His great love. From all harm, safe, from all harm, safe in His sheltering arm, His sheltering arm. I'm living by faith, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm, feel no. and mercy to all, and he promises strength for the journey, to the steadfast to answer the call. Let us be faithful, 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 Lord, let us be faithful, faithful, Lord. Though we cannot see, we still believe, let us be faithful, Yeah. 
faithful, Lord. Let us be faithful, 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 Lord. Let us be faithful, faithful, Lord. And though we cannot see, we still believe. Let us be faithful, faithful, Lord. Okay, if you want to turn somewhere in your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. Uh, several of our texts this morning will be on the slides on the PowerPoint, but 2 Kings chapter 7 uh, will be one of our lengthier readings. Uh, so if you want to turn there, that would be great. Last week, last Sunday morning, I started a mini-series on stewardship. Uh, we talked last Sunday morning about giving, being generous with our finances, with our money, And we also talked a little bit about church contribution. Now, anytime you talk about money, uh, as a preacher, you're going to get some feedback because that's a touchy subject. Uh, But one of the, the, I guess, the areas of feedback that I received when preaching on stewardship was I had a few different people ask me, who is steward? And then I realized maybe I should start by defining what we mean by stewardship. What that word is, maybe that's kind of like a church word that we use at church, but not something you would use uh, in your everyday language. So stewardship, if you were to look it up on Google, this is the definition that you would get. The job of supervising or taking care of something such as an organization or property. Now notice I looked it up on Google. I didn't go to a dictionary or anything like that. I just Googled it. You know, who else does that? Anybody just Google something rather than looking up the actual definition? So that's what the definition of stewardship is, taking care of something, managing something. But what does stewardship mean from a biblical point of view? So I looked up the word stewardship from the Holman Bible Dictionary, and this is the definition that they provide, utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. So I like that first word, utilizing and managing all the resources that God provides, not just for the sake of managing it, but for the sake of the glory of God. There's a purpose in our stewardship. And it says all resources. Last week we talked about stewardship, being good stewards of money. But this is all resources. In Acts chapter 3, Uh, there's this scenario where Peter and John are headed to the temple, and it's the hour of prayer. So they're going to pray, and hundreds of other people are headed to the temple. And there's this man who is crippled, and he's positioned. People place him right outside the temple so that he can beg for money. Strategic. And I imagine that this guy being there day after day during the hour of prayer, most people probably either throw some money his way or just ignore him. I mean, think about yourself when you're out and about, maybe you're in a big city or you're in downtown Longview and you see somebody begging for money, usually our response is just to walk by, right? So here's this guy whose life has been reduced to begging for money, and Peter and John are headed to the temple, and I like Peter's response. He doesn't ignore the guy, he stops and he acknowledges him, and in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and then he heals the man. So Peter stops, he acknowledges him, he sees his humanity, he sees this as a person, but he admits, I don't have any money 
to give to you. But he doesn't just walk on. He says, what I do have, I can give you. Now, Peter is able to perform this miracle, the power of Jesus. And we may not be able to do that, but think about that attitude. Silver or gold, money, I do not have, but what I do have, I'm willing to give. I'm willing to be a steward of what it is that I do have. So we're not just practicing stewardship over money. We practice stewardship over all of God's resources. And that includes the small daily tasks that God puts in our way. Whatever that may be for you, it could be that you're like my family right now where you're raising children, and some of the small little things would be to just spend a little bit more time with them or be intentional about discipling them. Maybe a small daily task would be the person that you work with that you can't stand to be around, and a small daily task of stewardship would be to be kind to that person. I'm not sure what it would be for you. Maybe you volunteer for something or you committed to something, and a small act of stewardship would be to just follow through with that. Whatever stewardship may be for you, it goes beyond just giving. Now, that's important, and we talked about that last week, but stewardship in the small things, in the small areas. Anybody remember the movie Karate Kid? Yeah, y'all remember that movie? This kid named Daniel, he gets beat up by some bullies, So he wants to learn karate so he can defend himself, and he's going to enter in this karate tournament. So this guy, Mr. Miyagi, he's going to be a sensei. He's going to teach him karate, and guess where they start? They don't start with punching or kicking or blocking. Yeah, I've already seen some people do the motion. They do this. Remember this? What is this? Wax on, wax off. So he starts with wax on, wax off, and he washes his car. And if you're Daniel, you're thinking, what does this have to do with anything? This guy's just getting me to wash his car. But he learns to wax on, wax off. And what he learns is that later on in the training, that actually will come into play. But before he can learn the big things, he starts with the small things. Mr. Miyagi's not going to trust him with the bigger things until he can learn to to do these small, simple tasks. And one of the things that I'm learning through life, through Scripture, is that we want to be a part of big things, but God is just as present in the small tasks of life. In Zechariah chapter 4, there's this prophet, a man named Zerubbabel, Now, if you think I'm mispronouncing that, then you can pronounce it however you want to. It's an awesome name either way, but his name is Zerubbabel, and he wants to rebuild the temple after the Israelites have been in exile, and the temple has been neglected, so it's time to rebuild it, and he wants this project to get started, but they're off to a very slow and meager start. He's receiving all this opposition from without, from some depression from within, and he's frustrated. A small, slow start. And through the prophet Zechariah comes these words in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see his work begin. What comfort that would have been to Zerubbabel, who is off to a slow start and is probably frustrated and disappointed and maybe second-guessing himself. And here comes these words, don't be so frustrated in the small beginnings. God is with you. God is rejoicing to see his work begin. Mother Teresa is often quoted in saying, don't try to do great things for God. 
but do small things with great love. Have you ever heard that quote before? Don't try to do great things for God. You know, as Americans, we like things that are big. We like things that are powerful. We like famous people. We get excited when celebrities come our way, even Christian celebrities, right? But what she's saying, and it makes me think of her quote when I'm reading Zechariah 4.10, is it's not always about the big things. It's about the small things in life and doing those things with great love. And God can work through those areas. For an example, uh, this is a preacher named Erwin McManus, and he's one of those famous preachers. Uh, You may not have heard of him, but he's an author, he's a speaker, he preaches at this big church in Hollywood, California. He's really well-known, he's a great author, great speaker. But he didn't start that way. He started at a really small church in South Dallas. Really dangerous area, a violent neighborhood, a church of less than 100 people. And that was the area of stewardship that he was given, and he was faithful to that. Every year in Dallas, remember Reunion Arena? In Dallas, they would host a big nationwide Christian conference, and they'd bring in all these big speakers, and Erwin McManus would volunteer to work behind the scenes. And one year, one of the big-name speakers on the day of the event, called and said he wasn't going to be able to make it. So the guy running the event came up to Erwin McManus and said, I want to ask you to fill in tonight. He said on a weekly basis, he would preach in front of less than 100 people, and now he's being asked to preach in front of 20,000 people. So he prayed about it, talked with his wife. She said, do it. So he did it, and he did it as faithfully as he could have. And after it was over, He found the guy who asked him to do it, the guy who's running the event, and he said, out of all the people you could have picked, you could have paid somebody and flown them in last minute and let them do it. Why did you pick me? And that guy said, last year when you didn't know it, I slipped in the back during one of your church services, and I listened to you preach to about 50 people. He said, I saw how passionately you did that to those 50 people and how passionate and faithful you were in those small things, and I knew that you would be faithful in the big things as well. McManus said that he would preach with the same passion to 20 people as he would 20,000 people. So we need to be faithful stewards of the small things. Not just the big things, but the small areas of life that God has given us to be stewards of. So 2 Kings chapter 7, now we're here at this spot. I'll set it up for you just a little bit. These are times of war, times of famine. They're going through a famine. And the prophet Elisha who we'll talk more about here in just a few weeks. Elisha is kind of the main prophet of the time. He's the center of the story at this part in 2 Kings. And he predicts in the first three verses of chapter 7 that by this time tomorrow the famine will be over. And starting in verse 3, which is where I'm going to pick up reading, this is the story of how the famine breaks. So look at verse 3. Now there were four leprous men outside the city gate who said to one another, Why should we sit here until we die? Four men with leprosy. You know, leprosy is a skin disease. They're dying of the skin disease. It's bad enough to be a leper. You've been kicked out of your city. You have to live outside of society. But it's even worse to be a leper during time of war and famine. So here they are. And they say, we don't want to just sit here and die. So verse 4, they said, let us enter the city The famine is in the city, and we shall die there. But if we sit here, we will also die. Therefore, let us go into the Syrian camp. 
If they spare our lives, we will live. If they kill us, we will die. So basically, we can go back to our people, but they're starving to death. If we sit out here, we're going to die. So let's go to the enemy camp, to the Syrian camp, and take our chances. Maybe they'll kill us, maybe, maybe not. But this is what our lives have come to. So they arose at twilight to go to the Syrian camp. But when they came to the edge of their camp, there was no one there at all. So to their surprise, an empty camp. We... We get told why in verse 6, For the Lord had caused the Syrian army to hear the sound of chariots and horses and the sound of a great army. So they said to one another, The king of Israel has hired the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to fight against us. So they fled in twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp just as it was and fled for their lives. So the story kind of turns humorous here. You have this army, this big army, the Syrian army, who's powerful. And there's four lepers walking up to their camp, but God causes it to sound like a huge army approaching them. So in their minds, they're thinking, okay, it's the Hittites or the Egyptians. We better get out of here. And they got out of there so fast, they left everything behind and just fled. And here comes just these four lepers. Insignificant characters, most people probably don't even know they exist, and they step into the Syrian camp, and it's almost like God is saying, take your pick. They left everything, food, clothing, resources. So in verse 8, when the leprous men had come to the edge of the camp, they went to the tent, ate and drank, carried off silver, gold, and clothing, and went and hid them. Then they came back, entered another tent, carried off things from it, and they went and hid them. So these guys have hit jackpot. It's like, we thought we were going to die either way, but now we're just walking away with all the money we want, all the food we want. But their attitude shifts in verse 9. Then they said to one another, what we're doing is wrong. This is a day of good news If we are silent and wait for the morning light, we will be found guilty. Therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. Now, there's a little bit of self-interest here because they know that they could be punished if they just keep it all to themselves, but they also know that they're going to be held accountable for their actions. There is no way that God has blessed them with all these resources, with all this money, with all this food in a time of famine for them to just keep it to themselves. This is something that God has placed in their lives and they realize they have to be good stewards of the things that God has given them. So they said, let us go spread the good news. And they go back into the camp, into the city of the people that had abandoned them and kicked them out because of their leprosy. And they go and they tell them about these resources. Now, at first it wasn't received well. Sounds like a trick. But eventually, everyone gets to eat off of this, and Elisha's prophecy comes true. But what I find really interesting about this story, I see a little bit of a parallel between good news and not keeping it to yourself, and then the good news of the gospel of Christ, and not just keeping that to ourselves. But even beyond that, we have these four lepers who seem like small characters, insignificant characters, but they make some life-altering decisions that winds up saving the lives of many people. God used four people who probably felt like they were worthless and nothing, 
And maybe the easy thing would have been to just spoil themselves and then go about their business, but they used it as an opportunity to bless a lot of people. There's a woman named Linda Wilson Allen. Uh, She is a bus driver, a metro transient operator in San Francisco. Someone kind of like these four lepers who might feel like just a small, insignificant character. But by the way that she treats her job and lives her life, she makes a big kingdom impact. Now, I was going to tell you about her story this morning, but because of our great fortune of Right Now Media, anybody use that yet? You should, we announced that last week, should have received an email. Her story is on Right Now Media, so we're going to show you this video, and I want you to pay attention to how she uses the resources that God has given her, the job God has given her, and how she uses it to bless others. Hopefully this video will work. I start off my morning with prayer. I seek the Lord before I leave the house. My day begins at 2.30 a.m., I've been an operator for 28 years, and my first train leaves Walnut Creek at 4.20 a.m. Driving motor coach, you're dealing with hundreds of people with attitudes. Um, So I take it personal. I change that around to help me with my Christian growth. So Lord, help me to have a good attitude when uh, someone comes on might not have a bad day. Sometimes yell at me and I might not respond. I might not give you that reaction that you want. Why? Because I'm always trying to be aware (coughs) that God is watching me. He's watching my attitude. He's watching my reaction. So you have to learn to roll with whatever comes through your door. Uh, Whatever that might be. Something that someone who's disabled, Uh, someone who might have a personal problem before they came to get on your bus, Uh, someone with bags that they they cannot carry on the bus by themselves. I mean, every second changes. Me having the attitude that I have here at work, caring and uh, helping others, it's paid off because now you have so many passengers who take your bus They'll say like this, oh, that's the nice operator. That's the lady who always help us. Or she'll get your bags. Or she always call out her stops. They recognize me. They, and, and sometimes they'll wait for my bus. They won't even take anyone else's bus. Or we want your bus. You know, things like that. So it paid off in a way that I have earned, gotten so much respect out here till it's just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable how the seniors and those with disabilities look forward to seeing me because they know I'm going to do my job. And then, not only that, it gave me the opportunity to meet um, the gentleman who wrote the Chronicle. He rode my bus, if I'm not mistaken, several months. And during that several months, he was taking notes of me. This man had me down to the T. He was writing an article on how do you keep a good attitude in the workplace. And the article was about that, me keeping a good attitude. And I tell him, I said, you know what? I put God first. 
I put him first in the morning. He's the start of my day. Some people start off with coffee. Well, I start off with Jesus Christ. And so I tell him, and without him, I couldn't do it. I couldn't have this attitude. I couldn't serve you, but I'm serving it in Jesus' name. Why? Because he's watching. He's looking. He's taking notes of my life. When it's all finished and done with, I want him to say, well done. So that's one of my favorite stories when I first read about her. Because as a bus driver, starting her routes at 4.30 a.m., most people would probably be grumpy, especially when passengers get on your bus and they're grumpy and they're demanding and they're throwing their luggage around. It would be easy as a bus driver to just say, get behind the line and be quiet and don't cause problems. But she starts her day, as she said, with Jesus, and she approaches her job. What she is called by God to manage as a way to bring the kingdom of God with her onto that bus. So much so that she remembers people's names. When they get off her bus, I don't know if this was on the video, but she says, I love you to them. Like she uses that bus and that opportunity, those daily interactions, to bring love with her in the name of Christ. So much so that people want to ride her bus and they'll skip other buses just to ride on her bus. That is being faithful, being faithful stewards of the small things in life. Even if you feel like you're just a small character that doesn't make a big difference, you never know how God is using you. And she takes the approach, as she said in the video, that she believes God is watching her and she's going to be held accountable for how she lives. Just like those four lepers in 2 Kings chapter 7, They had all these resources, and they weren't going to just keep it to themselves because they knew that they would be held accountable. So they were faithful, even as small, seemingly insignificant characters, faithful with the resources that God had blessed them with. In Luke chapter 16, in those first nine verses, Jesus tells the parable of the dishonest manager. It is a confusing parable, and it's one of the more debated parables that Jesus has ever taught. And I'm not going to read all of that this morning. In fact, if you follow the guide for Connect Groups, you'll get a chance to hash it out tonight with your group. But I will tell you what verse 10 says. And part of this was our scripture reading this morning. In verse 10, Jesus kind of gives us the reason behind why he tells the parable. So Luke 16.10, Jesus says, Whoever is faithful with very little is faithful also in much. Whoever is dishonest in a very little, is also dishonest with much. If you can be faithful in the little things and the small things, then you can be faithful in the big things. But if you're dishonest in the small little things in life, then how can God trust you with the bigger things? Whether that be a little bit of money or a lot of money or a talent or a resource, or something that somebody, that God has placed in your life, can you be faithful in the little things so that God can trust you with bigger things? This is a man named Johnny Jennings. He's a man from Ringgold, Georgia. And over 30 years ago, Johnny went to visit this children's home. And after that visit, God kind of placed this burden on his heart for the children living at this home. And he wanted to do something to help, but at the time of life, he wasn't in a place where he could adopt. He wasn't in a place where he could be a foster parent. 
But he wanted to do something, so he made a commitment that he would start recycling. Paper, aluminum, he recycled pennies. Whatever he would recycle, he would take it, get the money from recycling it, and donate it to the children's home. And at the time, over the years, it seemed like just these small little donations that would come in. But he did this faithfully, this recycling and donating into the children's home for 32 years. Somebody who worked for the children's home added it up, and after 32 years, Johnny Jennings had donated over $400,000. What seemed like small little donations added up to where it made a big difference. But he was a faithful steward of the small things, even the small donations, and God used it to make a big difference. Be faithful stewards of the small things because you never know what God may be preparing you for, or you never know how God may be using what it is that he's placed in your life. In John chapter 6, Jesus is out in the middle of nowhere. This is where he feeds the 5,000. He's teaching them, but they need food to eat. It's getting later in the day. So Jesus, who's always training his disciples, he asks Philip, what are we going to do about all these people? How are we going to feed them? Philip's response is, it's impossible. First of all, we don't have the money to feed all these people. We just need to send them away so they can go get their own food. But during that time, Andrew finds a little boy. And he brings that boy to Jesus. And in John chapter 6, and verse 9, Andrew says this, There's a boy with five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? So Andrew, who's at least willing to try to do something, where Philip was saying, send him away, brings this small, insignificant child, because the way children were viewed in the first century is very different than how we view children today. So here's this nobody, this insignificant child, and he says, here is what I have. You know, his mom probably packed him a lunch that day, Five loaves of bread, two fish, not much, but he brings it to Jesus, and he says, here is what I do have, and then Jesus takes that and multiplies it. And now his story is told 2,000 years later, what this boy did. He took what was small, but was willing to give, and Jesus took it and multiplied it. Small actions can make a big difference, because we serve a big God. Two years ago... There's a football player named Travis Rudolph. He was a wide receiver for Florida State University. And one day, I guess the football team would do this occasionally, he went to a middle school in Tallahassee, Florida, to do a visit during lunchtime. So he got his pizza, and he was trying to make a decision on where he was going to sit. He scanned over the cafeteria, and because it's this big-name football player, obviously wherever he chose to sit down was going to become the cool table. And he looked over, and there was a lot of options. looked like some fun kids. But he looked, and he saw this one kid sitting by himself. The kid's name was Bo Paskey. So Travis Rudolph thought, I'm going to go sit by that kid who's sitting by himself. And he sat down and he shared a lunch with him for 30 minutes. And it didn't seem like a big deal to him. Well, somebody, another adult that was in the cafeteria, snapped a picture of it, sent it to Bo's mom, Leah. And she posted it on Facebook that night and she said that every day, 
She knows her son has many problems. She said, every day when I drop him off for school, I know kids are going to pick on him, and I always have to worry about him sitting by himself. But she said, because of this guy, this was one day, I didn't have to worry about my son sitting by himself. What was just a small act of kindness, of paying attention to somebody who needed a friend, and then God used that small act of kindness to inspire a lot of other people. We have no idea what is big or small in God's eyes. What may seem like just something small that we can ignore may be a big deal in the kingdom of God. So let's be faithful stewards of the small things because we serve a big God who can do big things with our faithful acts of love. I don't know what the small things are for you in your life or what God has placed on your heart or what you know right now sitting there, yeah, I need to be a little more faithful in this area. But practicing good stewardship involves our money, but it also involves the small things as well. And think about Jesus and his ministry. Think about the small things. He chose 12 disciples that no other rabbis wanted as their disciples. And he said, I'll take them. And I'll develop them. There was a woman who came up to Jesus who was suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Nobody wanted her around. She was unclean. And she comes up and she touches the edge of the garment of Jesus and she's healed. But Jesus stops and he speaks with her and he listens to her whole story. Nobody else wanted her around, but Jesus was willing to talk with her. Jesus reached out to lepers, to children. To foreigners, he would compliment the faith of Gentiles and Samaritans. Jesus was faithful in the small things, in the small acts of love and kindness, and it made a big difference. And then the one area that we talk about every week is Jesus was faithful and obedient to death on a cross. What would probably seem insignificant to most people because a cross was reserved for the worst criminals and rebels. And Jesus said, I will faithfully walk into my death, which seems crazy to everyone else. But as the story goes, that small act of love and faithfulness is what saves us today. In the name of Jesus. This morning, we challenge you to be faithful in the small things. Uh, We're going to have some of our shepherds standing around in the back, around the room, one up here with me. If you need to take this opportunity this morning to talk with a shepherd privately or to come up here to be prayed for, to respond, we want you to know that you can take advantage of this opportunity. Or if you need to talk with someone briefly and set up a time to follow through later in the week, use this opportunity this morning as we sing a few more songs to respond, to speak with one of our shepherds or to come up here. So let's stand up and Tony's going to come back up here and continue our worship.